This episode is brought to you by Seed. Probiotics are most effective when they make it to your colon alive. That's why Seed developed a patented two-in-one capsule that safeguards viability of its DSO-1 daily symbiotic through digestion to deliver the maximum dose to your colon. No refrigeration necessary. Visit seed.com slash Spotify and use code SPOTIFY25 to get 25% off your first month. Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Boyce of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's guest is Kayla, who is a man who has experienced autogynephilia, which is the desire to be a woman, a very strong, persistent desire to manifest in the world as a woman. We talk about that experience from his early life up to his mid-30s and how he's dealt with that. And we also talk about how activists are promoting certain versions of transsexualism or transness or transgenderism and Kayla's relationship to that part of the conversation. So this is a very deep uh, venture or journey, and it's rather rare to find a male who's willing to open up about this. So I am heavily, deeply obliged to Kayla for doing so and allowing me to get a peek into what this condition, AGP or autogynephilia, is like from the inside. So without further ado, here is Kayla. Oh, no. <laughs> cut, cut this out because they're going to watch this. So we're yeah, gonna, okay. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah. We're, we're just getting up to speed. <laughs> yeah. What would you like to cover? <clears throat> Let's see. Mm, I guess the AGP stuff. Like, I know you had Cantor. I know you had... Did yeah. you have Bailey? I've had Bailey, Zucker, Cantor, and the ignomious, well, infamous, or famous Blanchard. Big Daddy Blanchard, our group yeah. calls him. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, we're the Blanchardians, and people oh, hate really? us. Yeah. Do you, guys like, have like, hmm? do you guys have, like, a symbol or a flag or a T-shirt? We should make one. We definitely should. Let the TRAs hate us so much more. TRAs oh. and GCs, they both hate us, but we don't care. No, that's interesting. That Yeah, this um, this particular uh, – you folks um, and your, your position in this conversation is uh, – I'm sure draws the ire of many an uh, many, uh, ideologue from uh, other camps. Both ends, like equally – because if you really look at it, GCs and TRAs aren't that far apart from each other with uh, the extreme. Yeah, I know people aren't going to do that. Individuals are one thing. The group behavior is, is another, uh, in my experience. But individuals, uh, you can uh, look at. and uh, Or I've had well, good rapport with GCs. I haven't had too many, like, TRA, TRAs on. So, Actually, yeah. Like... It's always the individual. I'm talking about like the ideology. Yeah. Like I have a lot of GFC friends. You're right. I don't really have any TRA friends, so they might be a little suckier. <laughs> no. <laughs> but well, I don't know. Like trainees are crazy. Like, <laughs> what can I say? Like I know. I gotta watch my. I have to watch my. Language. Well, let, let's contextualize that because there is a um, what what you've called uh, AGP which is mm-hmm. autogonophile um, 
which is uh, in in Blanchardian terms, Ray Blanchard coined that, and it has to do with uh, target eroticism, at least in what I've been exposed to, meaning that the, the target of desire bangs around somehow back into attra attraction to oneself as a female. Yeah, the ETLE, erotic target location error. Yeah. Or Bailey coined ETII, which we like better, which is erotic target identity inversion. Hmm. Because an ETLE can also be an outside target, like a shoe fetish can be an ETLE. Like okay. your invert, it's your target is not a normal target. ETII is more specific to AGP because it's your whole self inside yourself. Like it's introverted sexual orientation, which makes it. I don't know. Bailey said it's good, and I kind of like it, so we kind of use that. Mm -hmm. So, and to what extent does that has that shaped your uh, life? When did that arise for you? And, and something you're like, whoa, what's going on here? Well, the what was going on here was at 13, but had no idea what's going on. Yeah, kind of thing. So it's just like what happened with that was um, that's when puberty hit. That's yeah. when like we're ready to do it. And anytime I saw a, a woman, like, you know how you have your, like your hormones going, it would be not just the woman, but like her, I would see like them as they grow and be like, I'm supposed to have that. Okay. I wish I had that, you know? And, and it was like more of a, a reverence than a sexual attraction to them. Okay. And it's very confusing at 13. Yeah. And what comes with that, it's like, okay, well, am I gay? Because boys aren't supposed to wish they were girls. Boys aren't supposed to, like, see those parts as, like, they go through puberty and be on them. So it's like you get internalized homophobia, which became, like, the biggest thing. And you just, like, obsess over it. And it's scary as hell. And um, hmm. because... I have no idea what AGP is. I, I'm 34 years old. This is like before the internet, before any of that stuff. So it's just like, well, I know what gay is, so this must be gay. But you're also not attracted to men. So it's like, okay, it gets really, really confusing. You you said internalized homophobia. Could you expand on that? Because that, that gets thrown around a lot. But I think you're talking about something very real and inside of you that you're dealing with. Right. So... Since I am a heterosexual, I call it confused internalized homophobia. So it's like, I think everyone could read my mind at that point. Like they could see it and they know. So like, I am very scared and very conscious of every mannerism, everything. It's like, is this too gay? Is this too gay? And they see it. And I think when I would hang out with boys, I'd be like, they think I'm gay. Like they could feel that vibe, that energy. And it's like, but the problem is like, I know I'm not, but I think they think they can and you, you obsess over it. Okay. Yeah. And it pushed me away from hanging out with people. Like I was very on my own and like just to stay away because everyone can read it, my family. And it's all just like in and your head. So you just have constant social stress. 24 seven. Okay. This like dealing with AGP doesn't show. It's just like, why is it like this? Why am I like, I didn't know transsexuals exist at that point too. It's like, why does my brain say I'm supposed to be a woman when it's an impossible thing to ever achieve? So it's just like, what is the purpose of this? You know, it's like, cause you know, the thing, the, the biggest difference between HSTS and AGPs is 
ATPs know they're men. <laughs> like they know they're a boy and it's, they're repulsed by it. Like attraction to a woman is kind of the same thing as repulsed as yourself as a male. So like you hate everything about what's male. Like you're not supposed to be. It feels like when you were born, like God flipped the coin and you got the wrong coin to us. Like you're supposed to be a girl. And he's just like, but we're going to put this memory in your head. Like you're supposed to be. Okay. And that doesn't go away. It's like 24 seven uncomfortableness. It makes you go crazy. So there's, there's different levels of, let's just say the female Mm -hmm. and uh, pardon me, any females who are listening to that, but there's the, there's the physical female, like the, the secondary sex characteristics, the hourglass figure or the, the figure and the, the equipment. There's also, there's also the voice of the, the pitch of the voice, but also the tonality of the voice. So there's the female and the feminine mm-hmm. and you're attracted to one and not the other. You want to be, you want to have one, your body, you look at your body, you say, why don't I have these things? You look at your voice like, I want to speak this way, but I know that I can't. There's, there's a lot there. What do you think about that? Um, no, it's not like that. Like I take voice training. I can do the voice, but I just, for this podcast, I'm, I'm not going to do it yeah. just to like, I don't want to offend anybody, you know? Yeah. Um, no, it's not like that. It's more like hearing my voice as it is like this. Like I won't be able to watch this because you ever get that feeling where it's like you did something stupid as a kid and that memory pops up and you get that, like that cringe wince, like shivers. Yeah. It's like, it's like that whenever I hear my voice or I see my face, like I go dizzy and I feel faint. So it's not like I want those things. It's like, I don't want what I have. And since we're in the binary, it's like, well, if you don't like being a male, if you don't like these male things, what else, what else is there to go? Yeah. So like when I do the voice training and I go high, I can hear my voice in that, in that voice. I'm on HRT. So like, as the changes go, I can start seeing my face in the mirror and, and connect a little bit. Okay. So it's not, it wasn't really a desire. It's just more like fixing a bad thing that's going on. Okay. Yeah. And then like, yeah. And when you're using the voice and and seeing yourself, uh, sorry if this is the wrong phrase, but when you produce yourself as a woman, when you sink your intention into actualizing that, you feel closer to yourself? Do you feel the stress that's the that wrongness or that that uh, error that target error or that self error is, is that re- is it relieving and is it achieving at the same time at first it was very relieving like they would be so since it was 24 7 in my head it's like it's, it, i would visualize it as like um a voice screaming at me and it would always be like you're not a girl. You're not a girl. You pull 24 seven. Then when I like did that in the beginning, that voice would shut up <laughs> for once. And hmm. it's kind of like if you had a radio in the background static, like in the back of your head, you get used to it after a while, but it's always there, you know? Mm-hmm. And then doing that shut that static off. So it's like, you realize it was there and you realize you weren't a hundred percent. So when I did that at first, it was a hundred percent. Uh, now that I'm on the HRT with the testosterone suppression and all that stuff, it's just gone. <laughs> like I just get to be 
who I want to be, whatever. Like, yeah, it's still hard to see my face. Like, I'm anatomical more than anything else. So it's like my I have problems with seeing my face, and I do have a little bit problems with my voice, but it's not twenty four seven. Okay. So I could be fine going whichever way, and just whatever I feel that day, you know. Okay. So and I can't fluid. speak. You're yeah. Fluid. yeah. I, I, I non-binary is a good term for like AGPs, but I, okay. sorry, AGPTWs. Like I'm not saying I speak for everybody, but this is uh, this is me. Yeah. Not like anyone's gonna admit they're an AGPTW. Uh, an autogynophile trans woman. Yes. Yeah. Yes, because AGP is a sexual orientation. We gotta look, it's yes, it's a paraphilia, but you can also look at it as a sexual orientation, which the, the scientists do. And there's there's AGPs and then there's AGPTWs, like there are homosexuals, and then there are homosexual transsexuals. They're completely two different people. Mm-hmm. Um and they're from the people I've talked to the way AGP affects each one's differently. Like the AGPs, like anyone else, like homosexual has sex for pleasure. You know, like it's, it's a sexual euphoria, enjoyable. thing. That's what I hear the stories from just the AGPs. The AGP TWs are more like they're running away from dysphoria instead of running towards euphoria. Okay. So I want to make that clear. They are different things. That that's uh Sounds like a profound statement, running away from gender dysphoria rather than running towards euphoria. And you can see, um, or it would be easy to judge people who overact, um, just for example, and I don't mean any disrespect for this, and uh, you know, it's kind of problematic to bring it up, but there's this GameStop guy, uh, or trans woman. Ma'am. Ma'am. Uh, it's ma'am, uh, who gets very, very angry when they are misgendered. And then mm-hmm. says, I'm obviously not a man, and then acts in a very masculine way mm-hmm. and, and like uh, punches this thing and, and is very, uh, very intimidating and stuff like that. So on top of this constant pressure that you're describing, this constant stress that you're describing and alleviating that and then trying to – I can see some very difficult uh, ways of, of mishandling trying to – be okay in society and trying to change society so that the pressure outside of you that you're maybe projecting is, is released. And so there can be in a sense, some understanding garnered from the pressure to uh, call out transphobia and to enforce uh, gender ideology in order to relieve the stress that's placed on society by individuals who are experiencing AGP. So, and it, there's, there's got to be some personality, you know, information on that. But you said earlier that trannies are crazy. That, that's your words. Trannies are crazy. In a way, it could be argued that if transphobia or if understanding of your position and your experience was better understood, then it would be easier for you to deal with your gender dysphoria in society, perhaps. Um, I'm going to ask you to like rephrase that question, but I just want to say first, um, when I say trains are crazy, I don't mean actually crazy. Like they're my friends. Like we're just, we're going through something that's weird. Like hmm. who wants to be the opposite sex? Like it's that one, it's, it's just, and like, we're in a club, like we can only understand gender dysphoria and we're crazy for it. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm very loose with my terms. So I, I don't, please don't take that, that crazy thing as something very serious. But like you, my, 
you build your understanding of what you're going through on gender dysphoria. There's a push in uh, gender ideology, uh, loosely yeah. construed, that you can be trans no matter what. It doesn't matter if you have gender dysphoria or not. You, it's important for you to recognize that there is something, quote unquote, wrong, or there is a problem there. That you're well, dealing. there's, if you're trans, like, I'm going to say you have gender dysphoria. It's just how you mentally handle that. Like I have OCD. So, so me thinking that I'm going to think about it 24 seven and that's going to become PTSD and it's going to feel really bad. And I didn't, I didn't come from a time where it's like, it was there for me. You know, my first time seeing a transsexual was 16 and I'm like, Oh, this makes sense. I'm going to go through a second puberty at 20. Like this is where this is, this makes all the thoughts make sense. They mm -hmm. exist. But now if you these days and these kids, like they see it right away, they, they could be like, that's me. And then they can embrace it. And then that they won't have all those mental turmoil, which I call dysphoria. Like that's what makes it a disorder, like gender identity disorder. You don't need that. Like just wanting to be that and seeing like, that's me, like hmm. that's enough because normal people don't do that. Like, did you ever as a kid be like, I was supposed to be a girl and then let it go for the rest of your life. <laughs> and like, hmm. it's not a normal thing. So I definitely think if you do have that compulsion or that drive, there's something there. I would say that's AGP because the HSTS, you know, at four years old, and it's not a compulsion. They're just very feminine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, men. Like there's more going on, but like they're not confused. They don't have internalized homophobia. They they, they accept they're gay. They're like they accept all that stuff. There's there's no. It's not as complex. It's not as cognitive dissonance as AGP because you're going against your sexual orientation. Hmm. which which drives people to do way more things than just sex. Like you're a hetero male. So the way you act is hetero male, the way your interest is hetero male. Like it makes up who you are at like a fundamental level. Mm -hmm. So being AGP, the AGP makes up who you are at a fundamental level, like just like any other orientation. You said uh, you, you described a moment when you were 16 and you saw a transsexual um, mm -hmm. and you said, oh, I'll, I'll go through a second puberty at 20. That brings up the whole uh, question. Would you have rather stopped puberty, blocked it at, when it hit, and then uh, gone straight into sculpting uh, through surgery and hormones, uh, putting yourself on a different path hormonally? Um, no, going through it is I was wishing I was a cis male. Like, I'm sorry to use cis, but... I was wishing I was a normal boy more, more than a girl. Like the whole thing was just like, I had to keep telling myself I'm not a girl. I could be a normal boy. I'm a normal boy. And like, okay. I over masculized, masculinized. Yeah. So you wore your baseball cap and you hunched around. <laughs> I wore just the baggiest clothes and just hmm. had that tough face all the time. It's like, they can't tell. They could. And they're like, no, they can totally tell. Fuck. Wow. It sounds like you have a proclivity for, um, for an audience. I, that what you're talking about, they can tell, they can tell, they can tell, they can read me. I have that. I have that too. Uh, just with, I, I feel like I'm always performing. Like I, it's hard for me to relax and not think of other people looking at me. And there's all this, there's a secondary kind of, uh, processing that I'm, that I'm going through 
that other people don't have and so they can relax. Whereas I'm like, I have to trick myself into relaxing because I'm always acting in a way. It seems like, like that's something that's going on with you also in a performative way that might be related to what we're talking about, but it might just be part of who you are and something that you have to manage in a way. I think it's something who I am. Like I've heard other people say the same things. Like when they have a secret, they, they just, I don't know. I think it's an artist thing too, <laughs> to be honest with you. Cause the other people who said it were artists as well. So it's like, okay. Yeah. I don't think it's an AGP thing. That's why I said like, the disorder was my own head doing it to myself. That's why some people could just be like, oh, this is cool. I like this. Like, to me, it's like, fuck. Hmm. Just add another problem. To this. Yeah. A big one. If, uh, if you were putting yourself in the position of speaking to young men who are uh, emerging into this at 13, 14, and realizing that there's something off that's not really replicated in society about, you know, am I trans? Am I not trans? I want to be a man or I, I'm okay being a man, but I want to be a girl, blah, blah, blah. Uh, like all this very complex thing. What do you think is the best like counseling or advice that you would have had uh, or is is a support network very essential and what kind of support network is is proper that you think would be most healthy for you going through that oh okay so another biggest problem i had was through this whole time completely ego dystonic like i had no idea what was happening ego, ego dystonic? dystonic um i knew something was wrong but i didn't know what it was okay like it was just always just like and i i wanted to know like that was like that's what brought me to twitter like I already started like my transition path came out two years before was going through that stuff, started hormones. I'm like, okay, now it's time to like meet other people like me and find out why this is happening. Mm -hmm. So I met two of my really good friends now and they showed me the topology and like they were explaining AGP and it was like an epiphany. Like everything was like, that makes complete sense. And it made me feel free. <laughs> like, I think uh, more research and hmm. education on the topology from those people. Like the problem with it right now is people don't educate themselves on it. So there's a stigma and I can understand why like the TRAs and other transsexuals want to push it down. Cause fetish is a, it's a scary word when you don't know what it is. They yeah. think it's like BDSM. Yeah. They think it's this, they think it's sex. It's like, eh, um, What was I saying? But, yeah, so knowing the topology and learning what it was was the biggest step for me. Um, I accepted it with open arms. <laughs> yes, there was, after that, there was a period of, like, oh, this kind of sucks. Like, because before this, I knew nothing about, like, I, I stayed away from the Internet, so I knew nothing about, like, I thought all transsexuals were the same. And then they're like, 2HSTS said, no, they're not. You're not the same. I'm like, oh, man, I'm downgraded. But, so my, my, my mission is to, like, upgrade us again to be kind of normal. So we're working on it. Um, so education on it and, and much better therapist and more going through it. And mm -hmm. you can't just give it. Like, I don't, I don't, you can't just give hormones to people or surgeries. You can't just do, like, try it and see. Like, yeah, I guess everything is try it and see. Like, I can detrans anytime. So I tried it and I see so far the treatment is work. Like I look at it as I'm on a treatment that has side effects. Like I'm my anatomy is changing, but 
I'm not focused on that. I'm focused like the voice shut off and then everything else is, is whatever. Like that's what I care about. Okay. And if that helps someone that way, perfect. You know, I could see like if you're an HSTS and you're already a very feminine male, like you're going to get the dream that people want to transition. Like you're going to fit in, you're going to assimilate like AGPs have to understand, like you're probably not, and you're not, Hmm. there's going to be cognitive dissonance no matter what you do. Like even if everyone did your, like your preferred preferred pronouns, like it's, it's very unstable. Like there's times where you feel like this, there's times you feel like that. And I really wish people took non-binary seriously because being man, like we're repulsed to man. So for us, we cannot see ourselves as a man. Like that's just, that just makes us feel. Okay. So for, to just expand on that very briefly, you don't want to be a man and you don't want to be with a man either. Like the male itself, uh, you're not attracted to it. You're actually, there's like, there's an autogynophile, there's like an autoandrophobia kind of thing, but you're also not necessarily attracted to men. Uh, me specifically, because there are pseudo-bisexuals. Okay. Me specifically, no, I am, I'm completely hetero. Yeah. Um, the AGP makes me an analerotic asexual when it comes to like physical, like I don't get attracted to physical bodies. Mm-hmm. Like it's more of a demisexual, like the mind and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. the presentation and I'm very hetero with that. I like very feminine women. But that's what I'm attracted to, but it's like who they are, not, not the everything else, but they're the same things with guys. Like I'm not repulsed to another man. Okay. Like it just doesn't do anything. So everything's okay. like whatever. Okay. But I'm repulsed to myself as a man. Yeah. Like that's where all my focus goes. Yeah. So that repulsion goes so far that the he's and the man actually sparks a reaction. Like that wince feeling. Like when you hear it, it's like a pang. It's like ah. When you're when somebody uh, uses your male name and and calls you he or is that what you're saying? Yeah, like, or no, hey man, like, you can use my male name, like, that doesn't bother me anymore, but like, when someone says you're a man, it's like, ouch, for a second, it's like, oh, oh that doesn't okay. feel good. Yeah. But also, when someone calls me a woman, it's like, cognitive distance, it's like, ah, oh, that doesn't feel good either. Hmm. So you get used to it. So it's just like, hmm. I don't know, it's kind of a catch-22. Yeah, yeah. And then it's just like, you know what, I just let people do it, it's, there's nothing I can do about it, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, um, there's with with the gender critical feminism, broadly speaking, there's a lot of um, understandable uh, territory uh, policing with women, with womankind. <laughs> and they're very staunchly against men intruding on their spaces and appropriating the female. And, and I understand that that's a whole conversation and stuff, but how do you navigate the rest of the world? Or, like, do you belong in female washrooms? Do you belong in female sports? What, what do we say about that? To what degree does society need to uh, accommodate people in your position? And Because and, there should be some dialogue. There should be some allowances at least just on the basic respectful humanity, insofar as you are respecting the female, uh, 
you're respecting, you know, you're being respectful in society. To what degree do you do you think that accommodation would be uh, possible or necessary? I wouldn't use women's spaces. Like, I obviously wouldn't fit in. It kind of. I did it once when, like, I first transitioned because I'm supposed to for insurance reasons, like live full time, do these things. I'm just like, oh, okay. Yeah, we're, we're, New York is weird. Um, I kind of like what the HSTS do about it. It's like use the men's room to get kicked out of the men's room <laughs> because guys don't want girls. And like, if you look, if you pass that much, you're gonna get kicked out of the men's room. They're gonna be like, what are you doing here? So like, well, I guess this is not my bathroom anymore. Hmm. But if you, I'm six foot one, 180 pounds, like it's really not that hard. Hmm. <laughs> like you look at, like I look at my arms, like, come on, man. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think the the spaces and all that stuff. Oh, I'm gonna get so much shit for this, but they're trying to sell themselves the lie. Like if I just did this. It, things will get better. If this just happened, like, here's the hard thing. Okay, so if an AGP transitioned at 13 or 16, like, they might not pass perfectly, but they might pass, like, to the, like, quick look. They're going through the same thing I am. So I understand where they go, like, well, why do my looks matter? I'm going through the same thing. I'm the same person. It's just I started late. Like, it's still the same disorder. So it's like, it's not fair that they get to do it. And I don't when we're, go we're like, I'm still the same stuff, no matter how I look. Cause inside I am this person. So I get that, but come on, like you're not in danger. If you go in the men's room, if you look like a man, if, if you're worried that you're wearing a dress and you go in there, you chose to wear the dress. Like you don't have to wear the dress. Like, yes, there are transvestic AGPs that that's part of it do something in between. I don't know. Like it's a choice. Women's segregated spaces or separate spaces. Like they can't take that along. Like they can't change their clothes and look like a man and feel safe. Hmm. You can. So kind of use your common sense. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You brought up something earlier that I think is key. You said that you felt a reverence for the female. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's not just a sexuality. I think that's something that people don't really understand or that's not really well understood broadly about male sexuality, that it is tied up to a number of different things. It's not just a fetish. I don't have a fetish for women. Like women have a variety of different meanings to me. And part of that is erotic, but a lot of it is, is not. It goes into very high and deep levels of my personality. So having, having a reverence for the female and an attraction to the female is not reducible into my sexuality, but my sexuality does inform that. And then there's a bunch of like, uh, you know, mores and rules and behavior that I've learned in order to put that sexuality in its place. So in discussions about AGP, uh, to reduce it into just a fetish or a sexuality doesn't really encapsulate what you are expressing to me in this conversation, what you, what you're going through. There's this part of it is that, but there's this whole life and the way that you fit into the world and stuff. And so 
I just wonder if you can expand on the reverence for the female and and the women in your life and and uh, kind of in a way to like give a olive branch to the gender critical feminists and say you're not trying to take anything away from them. You're managing something in in yourself. It seems like, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. What, uh, can I can I touch on a point about the whole fetish thing first? Yeah, because. Uh, it's been amazing. Like Blanchard's been doing interviews again and he did two and he, he brought this up, which really hit the nail on the head. He said, um, how he knows someone's AGP and like the one constant was as a kid during puberty, they did fetishistic cross dressing. And that's it. You need to do it once as a kid because HSTS would never do that. So Could he you- then. Could you explain what you mean by fetishistic uh, cross-dressing? So it's uh, like an erotic moment. Mine was at, my first one was at seven years old. So it's, it's not something you go and you think like at seven years old, you don't have that sex drive. It's just, it's a compulsion. Like I ran into my parents' bedroom while Marilyn Monroe was playing and I like fantasized I was her singing and it was a very strong like I was taken out of my body. It was a very strong feeling. And then like my dad walked in and then it's like, I snapped out of the fantasy oh. and I was like completely drained. So I found out this is, this was a sexual experience. So since I had that experience at that age and want to transition later in life, I am AGP. He said, it starts off, AGP starts off looking like a fetish at that age, but that's it. Like it doesn't mean it progresses as a fetish forever, forever. And he says it usually doesn't. Like some people, yes, it does. But hmm. uh, I think our sound cut off. But you're back. Sorry. Um, so he said, as long as it looks like a fetish at that age, you're AGP. And there's nothing sexual about it. There hasn't been anything sexual about it since like 13, when at first like the anatomical part came to it. Okay, so. He says it looks like a fetish when at first, like the first signs of it is it, it's there's a sexual energy to it. Like it's not about sexual gratification, but there's a sexual energy of compulsion. And it's tied into like butterflies. When someone gets butterflies, that is a sexual arousal. Like it, it's not about gratification, but it's it's an energy that you feel full, like that is that. OK, so yeah. he's saying if anything that is because men are not supposed to want to be women. So if you have that compulsion and there is that energy. That is a sign that you have the ETLE, the inversion. Hmm. Okay. And that's how he connects them. He doesn't say, like, you do it as a fetish. It's just like, that is how I know you're AGP. Okay. Okay. That's a symptom then. It's one manifestation of a, of a uh, just the way that you're programmed in a way. It's an indicator that this is okay. what you have. Yeah. Okay. So he never meant to say, like, oh, you are a woman because it's a fetish for you. He's like, that fetishism at that age is an indicator that you have AGP okay. and then you just, and then you just live life normally. Like I have the same libido, if not less than most people like, and my woman or me, it's, hmm. that's not part of my sexuality. Okay. Yeah. And to what degree do you, produce yourself as a woman this is this is a tricky thing and i don't mean any disrespect so correct me or, or expand on this but when one decides to intentionally transition 
Mm-hmm. You, so, you select a name and you start to spend your attention into producing a self. Mm-hmm. So to what, to what degree is that? Um, how do you, how do you form that? And how do you, how do you do that in a healthy manner where you're not? Well, there's nothing healthy about it. It's an obsession. It's, it becomes mm. your, making the identity becomes your identity. And it, that's what I'm was, asking about. Oh, I'm so trapped in it. Like you get so excited and it's like, this is going to make everything good and you lose yourself. And mm-hmm. I recently met somebody who kind of just said like, yo, what the, f- what the hell are you doing? Like play music. And I'm like, you're right. What the hell am I doing? And then, then I started playing music and then the whole identity thing was just like, I don't care anymore. And the funny thing is like, while I'm doing it, so like I go by Kayla and my, my dead name or my regular name is Kyle. And it, so I separate the two now. It's like, I don't want Kayla to take credit for what Kyle's doing. You know, it's like, I feel kind of like robbed and it's just, I don't know. That's a hard explanation. Like you get so, hmm? no, please continue. I'm just saying you get so wrapped up into it and I think it's unhealthy. Like if you need the transition, do it and let the hormones do their thing. Don't think about it. Like I've been wearing makeup since middle school. Like I've been doing eyeliner and doing that stuff. Like, did my nails, but made it like, well, I have the middle finger this color, so I can do the middle finger when my parents asked, and like would do would do it at school because I was like, I'm a punk or a goth. You know, I never looked at it as being a woman. It was just something I was naturally into. Yeah. But then once I made everything into it's being a woman, it's like, well, that's my life. And it, it became a second self, which can be a good thing. Cause like if you're if you're down on yourself and like you're in a rut and you need to do something to like get out of it. Making a second self with goals and plans and becoming that person. Yeah. Awesome. But when you think about it, just like cosmetically, you're not achieving anything, you know? Yeah. Like you're just worried about, so, okay. Once you reach that woman, then who are you going to be? You're just going to sit there. Like you, you got to take care of yourself. And that obsession, man. Yeah. But it's, I transitioned at 32. So it's like, to finally do it after 20 years, it's like, I, I can understand the excitement and I can understand, but I'm so happy. Like I met that one person that just, I got obsessed for a year. I can take it. I could take a year, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's not a hard hit. Yeah. I can, the, when all of this stuff is projected through the internet and made political, a lot of the, the groundedness is lost in so far as it's a human being, just like your story is about you managing something for yourself. And when it's replicated and, and uh, promoted and then becomes something that's fought for or fought over, it loses the connection to there are individuals in your situation who need help and who could use therapy that, that is, you know, tailored to their position and allows them to express themselves and learn about themselves and stuff like that. So it trying to cut through the political crap and get down to the human condition and then trying to take that human condition and, and, and maybe just move the needle a little bit on how people perceive people in your position 
thinking about the feminists, how the feminists perceive men who uh, – I, I see a lot of rhetoric of them uh, assault, uh, slandering men for having a fetish. It's a fetish. It's a fetish. It's a fetish. And that might be the case, but it's also – not everybody with this condition is is out to you know take away women or or steal things from women or or take advantage of women or appropriate the woman. There are individuals who are incredibly sensitive and distraught that that are that are trying to proceed respectfully along those lines. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder, um, you know, how do you? There's you dealing with you, and then you get on the internet, and you see a bunch of people in yeah. your position dealing with, yeah, going about that. Like, what do, what do you what do you want others in your position to be doing, and how do you think is the best way to get uh, the right message across to the different parties involved in this? Okay, another thing I'm going to quote Blanchard from an interview. He did it well. He's like, all right, let's say the TRA is like. A trans person is a patient. Let's say we have a condition. I say it's a disorder for ATPs. So you have the patient who thinks they're a woman. You can't expect that person to think logically about their disorder. So it's like they're going like what you say goes against their disorder and their belief and their their I hate to say the word delusion, but delusion in the most basic sense. Like if I think I'm a race car driver with schizophrenia, that's a delusion. Like, but I believe it. I believe it to be real. So for you to go after the trans people who believe that and say, like, accept this, that's like telling a person in a wheelchair to walk. You have to understand, like, they're the patient. Okay. So you have that part. Hmm. And then you have the activists. What's an activist do? What's their job? Their job is to go to the extreme for every right for their people and themselves. And then have the administration, like the people, the policymakers, to find the middle ground. So you have these these patients fighting for everything they can. Don't blame the trans people for that. If they get it, blame the people up top who are supposed to like mitigate this damage. That's what hmm. activists do. Like, hmm. I think the institutions are failing. I like on this yeah, well, on a lot of things <laughs> but, well, so far they, they haven't given anything so like if, what do you mean like what the gre got like canceled like what happened in the uk was that the gre amendment um, gender recognition, gender recognition act? act uh there the, the, in scotland i think that that was um avoided which is self-id the self-id okay. act, yeah. so the institutions won on that one like they their minds like they're like, okay, this is too much. So they did their job. So we have to separate the fight and for what is actually taken away. You know? Like, no one's saying self-ID is is possible yet. No one's saying, like, they're all going to the spaces like, this is a battle. But we don't know if it's actually going to happen. Like, we don't know what's going on in the background. Okay. But, um, yeah, that's where I was going to. To, to what degree do you think... Um self-ID is good or would be good? And to what degree do you think that it wouldn't be good? And where, where do you, where do you land on that? Uh, self-ID, what in specific, like saying I'm a female? Yeah. Saying you're a female, changing all your, uh, I, I guess your, your licenses and then 
uh, everybody treating you as a female up to and including if you were to rob a store and get put in prison, you would be put in the female prison. Like it, it kind of goes in a lot of directions. There's these outcomes that have to be really carefully thought through. So I'm just wondering where you land on that and what would be best uh, for people in your position. I think it's wrong to force anyone to do anything. Like if you see me as a male, don't call me a male. Like I, that shouldn't be law at all. Um, in New York, our, our marker change is cosmetic only so far. Kind of hope it stays that way because I have male anatomy. And, like, I need – I don't want to be, like, go through this whole thing. And it's like, actually, I'm male. I need this, 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 and this just because it says female. Like, it, cosmetic is fine. It's like – so if, if I do pass, I'm not clocking myself every single time I go to a ball. It's like, okay. Yeah. Um, sports, No. But again, I'm speaking for AGPs. I, don't, I, I can't speak for HSCS. I don't, they're, they're different fights. Sports, no. Um, some spaces, if you pass, sure. Like, if you can assimilate and someone doesn't notice you, fine. But you don't need policy. If you pass, you don't need a policy that says you're allowed in. You'll just go unnoticed, you know, like any other woman. So, hmm. like, what policy do we need? We have anti-discrimination. And if you're seen as a woman, you're just going to live as a woman. If everyone sees that, like, it's no different. So why do you need that you're allowed to? And yes, I get it because you're the same person as that. You just don't look good. Yeah, but is it worth, like, making women feel unsafe? It's not, in my opinion. And we're also very rare. Like, I know Twitter makes it seem like we're everywhere, like, I've never seen another one of me in the public, like in the wild, as we call it, ever. Like, <laughs> never. I'm like, I see some online that are like 20 towns over. I'm like, oh, there's another one. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's not as scary as Twitter would make it seem. Like, okay. we're here yeah. coming down rioting. It's like, I'll riot by myself with a sign. <laughs> like, uh, but I can understand, like, if, my one person, if I'm in that bathroom, that person's scared, I get it. So I don't do it. You know, okay. it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to feel like a burden or uncomfortable in my spaces. Mm-hmm. You know, that would just exacerbate everything that you're trying to alleviate. Right. Yes. Yeah. Cause it, it, it separates me from them, you know? Yeah. So I just go about my day. You know, if you see me as Kayla, you can use those pronouns. If you see me as Kyle, go for it. And I just, I just vibe off of you, you know? Mm-hmm. It took me a while to get comfortable with that, but I'm doing pretty good. What were What do you mean by that? Like, get, how did you have to get comfortable with that? Because some people would, some people wouldn't, and you'd you'd re- react or overreact to the way that people were paying attention to you. Um, my parents always still saw me at, as Kyle. My job, like half my life, was that, and then like yes. Half, other half of my life was like my brother and his wife like was the other end hmm. so it was always is always a back and forth it's very unstable so then i'm just like screw it what i'm not i'm not going to change them so it's just just deal hmm. sometimes it's paying sometimes it doesn't it's, it's, it depends on the day interlude bell the unseen by kayla found on his youtube channel alternately titled KJ, link in the description.
So, million dollar questions. Do you think that transphobia exists and what is it? And to what degree is it something that society should be aware of and uh, the norms of our society can uh, be shifted in a compromised correct degree uh, to alleviate that if it does exist and whatever it is? I see transphobia as either if you see me and know I'm trans, you block me right away, like just because I'm a trans person. Okay. That's transphobia. Um, I see transphobia as using us as objects, like we call a token trans, which the GCs sometimes do. Like they find a trans person's like, say this, and we call it grooming, like say this and say that and do this. Like you are our object. And that's transphobia. I think what the companies are doing now, like what Oreos just did yesterday, like trans people exist as a marketing ploy. I find that as transphobia. Like I, everyone's jumping on this bandwagon. It's like, where were you 10 years ago? <laughs> like why now? Cause it's, it's the hot topic. Mm-hmm. And I, hmm. that's, that's interesting that most of your versions of uh, two of the three things that you just said were so-called positive uh, uses of trans, but it, it's uh, dehumanizing. It's, it's uh, distilling yeah. somebody into their identity and then moving them around for other ul- ulterior motives. Yeah. I don't want to think about being trans. Like it's just, that's just, that's just something I deal with. Like I just want See me as Kayla. See me as Kayla. like not. I am a trans person. Just just one okay. person. Yeah. So when you do that, it's just like ugh, I don't know. I don't know how they think it's good. I've been complaining about this like marketing ploy and and the political gain and all that stuff yeah. and using trans people. It's it's kind of disgusting. <laughs> but, yeah, it's cringy to completely offensive depending on uh, how it affects you. Yeah. Yeah, but if it helps, the it's also good for exposure about trans people. Like. That's the one thing about the TR movement. I'm kind of happy. It's like people know we exist. Yes. And it's not as scary because 10 years ago, being trans was like the worst condition you could be. Like, it's like, you don't want to be trans. You don't like, you don't want to be that son or daughter who like shames their parents. Like it was, it was shameful. And now it's just like, it's celebrated, which is cool. Depends on how far it's celebrated. But I think we kind of did need this extreme here just so we can now normalize in the middle. Yeah. So I'm hoping it's just that. I just hope we don't screw ourselves too much because we're, we're losing things. Like, we think we're winning. It's like, I think gender marker is going to be the next thing lost. Like, the more we fight for something, the more they take it away. What do you, what gender marker, what do you mean? Um, all right. So before it was self-ID, right? Like, that was the big fight. And I'm like, guys, stop fighting for self-ID. They're going to take the bathrooms next. Like, that's going to be the next fight. And it became the bathrooms. And now people are saying, like, well, my marker says female, so I'm just going to go in the bathroom. Nothing you do about it. I'm like, well, next is going to be the gender markers. Okay. Yeah. Like, you're, you're, the pigs go to the slaughter. Like, just, just be happy. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. We're very few, so we're definitely not going to win against feminists. Like their numbers are great. And, <laughs> and they gave, like, they kind of gave us like, okay, we feel bad help. Like just be happy. But okay. Yeah. We'll see where it goes. One thing. Um, and I, I hope the recording didn't get botched, but I'm worried about it. I know we're recording now, but I might've <laughs> like, we might have to redo this thing for which I apologize, but maybe it's okay. Oh, but I don't know until afterwards. All right. 
One thing that's been difficult is to get males, uh, male transitioners, male detransitioners on uh, AGP um, on. I think um, there's there's a, a loud uh, contingent, and I I played I played. On Twitter, I, I played some games, and and I've I've been rude and and uh, slanderous towards uh, trans rights activists and and playing around on a game and stuff. Um, so I haven't been perfect in that, and I've tried to change my behavior to just kind of let it alone, and every once in a while make some snarky comment because we are being forced on a political level to deny reality in a way that that I want to resist. I don't think that we should erase biological sex and mm -hmm. that is going too far. And, and I, I have a, I have a kind of some bones in the fight or whatever, some dogs in the fight. I don't want, I do want to protect females and I do want to protect young people from being put on a medicalized track that necessarily won't necessarily like help them in the long run. Changing your body isn't going to help your uh, identity or yourself or help you grow to, to such an, an extent, but like on an individual basis, when we get down into actually speaking to individuals about this and the, the, that political fight goes away and the dust settles, um, it's just it's difficult to uh, to get men on because of a number of different different issues. It is embarrassing for men to talk about our sexuality uh, to be very vulnerable, and to, for a number of different reasons, it's difficult for us to appear weak. Um, for a number of different reasons, not just to get women or uh, you know to protect our ego or something like that. There's there's a huge social cost to being vulnerable. Um, and then there's an emotional cost after we're vulnerable. Like for me, when I'm vulnerable, I have to go into the corner of the room and lick, lick my wounds for a day and think through everything I did. So it's like, it actually, there's an immediate price for being vulnerable. I know, I, I know, I know exactly. The inner critic, I call it. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's a fun yeah. one. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm stumbling towards a question, um, about, um, where you see your community, uh, and the best way to, platform that community or give you guys support in a way to show you guys as uh i, I i'm gendering you now um as as individuals and and as actually pretty smart very uh usually quite uh artistic and hyper intelligent people like corinna i've had on like some very sensitive beasts um are out there uh so i just wonder how you get how you're thinking through that and on a political level to what degree you even think about that or want to want to mess around with that um where is this community what are you guys uh you call your little groups the blanchardians like what are you what are you guys working on or what do you think uh are, are there support groups that you guys think are needed or that you're working toward or something like that? Uh, support groups. No, we're just trying to stop people from erasing the science. Like there's science to this. It can be seen and tested where what totally destroys that I have a gender identity. It's like, why do you want some like fairy tale thing when the science says this is innate, you were born this, like you are a transsexual. Like you have the science here. Okay. And then no one can dispute it. Like, I'm anatomical, AGP. So, like, my dysphoria is my anatomy. So they're like, okay, you have this. So hormones will fix that. That hmm. you, Like, transvestic is, if I dress this way, 
it makes me feel better. So then you don't need hormones because hormones aren't going to give you like a wardrobe change. So we're just there, A, educating okay. that there's a separation and a homosexual, transsexual's needs and rights are completely different than an AGP's needs and rights. So we want to separate that because I don't want to speak for them. They don't want to speak for me. And our, our rights actually kind of like bang into each other. Hmm. Like I need rights that protects a, a person who looks like a man in a dress. I need to protect that. HSCS don't need that. They need to be like, I live as a woman, so I get oppressed like a woman. I'm, I'm seen as this. So they need completely different rights. Hmm. So we separate for that. Um, we also like to piss TRAs off because they keep saying we don't exist. Okay, like, okay. Every, every other identity is fine, but AGP. AGP doesn't exist. But I could be 40 other genders and star moon gender. That's fine. But AGP, you're freaking crazy. It's like, okay. So we have fun with that. Um, <laughs> I just, just like, I don't understand why, why is it that TRAs are afraid? Why do they have AGP? Phobia. AGP internalized AGP phobia. Yeah, you know this. You know the stigma that comes with it. You know what yeah. people say. You see that in the pictures they show, and and yes. uh, okay, yeah. Like, who wants to associate with that? You know. Okay. And, and I get it, and that's like that's my biggest goal is to be like, it's not like that. And I've been seeing like, I had a conversation with GCs two days ago, and I said I was AGP, and only one person blocked me. That not not twenty. So okay. we're getting better. And we, we had a discussion. They didn't even take AGP as like, oh, you're a disgusting porn addled. Yeah. It's just the, yeah, hypno thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're getting, I think things are getting better. Because when I first started with that, that's all I got. And that was just like, it, that's demoralizing. But mm-hmm. as I said, I'll cry in the corner after I show up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll deal with it. My trick is to be like all innocent and bubbly and just like give hearts and all that stuff while yeah. I, I backhanded compliment you just yeah. like just to protect myself from it. But it gets and who wants to say like that your your sexual orientation is that no one it's it's I get it. But people don't want to educate themselves on it, you know, and that's the problem. They want to read a headline or a fear mongering thing and just go with it. And then they play a game of telephone and it gets worse and worse. And it's really hard to fix that message. Yeah. So we're, we're there to do it. I think there's only like seven of us, <laughs> but, but everyone knows us cause we're funny too. And we're catty and we don't give a shit like cat and Montgomery. We mess with her a lot. It's so fun. <laughs> but she's quite like, um, yeah, we have fun though. What, um, what do you think that, uh, uh, the GC community needs to understand that, that they miss that this for is real. And it's, it's not something that therapy can help. Like you can't just wish it away, you know? And, and it's not as common as they think there is. And hmm. why not just, instead of saying, you know what dysphoria is and you know better, why not just ask us and listen to us? Like, we'll tell you we're there to talk to you. Where okay. like you don't know and you can't know. Like that's why that's why transsexuals are like always in like a club. Like we have a certain like connection because we're the only ones who know what dysphoria is like. Like we you can't put into words <laughs> like like coherent words, you know? 
like explaining that wince feeling for me and just like, Mm -hmm. I guess I could say for AGPs, like, I guess there is a gender identity, but it's more like I feel my maleness Mm -hmm. all 24 seven and it's repulsed by that. So I don't feel like a woman. I just hate being a man and I can feel that man. So I must be a woman. So that's where I can see like that. Oh, wow. Where they, they think they're that. Yeah. Because if you if you don't like being a male, what else could you be? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I can understand. Like, I talked to my therapist once. I'm like, do you know what it feels like to be a woman? She's like, I never thought about that. I'm like, well, there you go. <laughs> like, she's like, that, that's the question. I don't. I'm like, okay, that's 24 seven. So I can yeah. understand why people can't understand it. Yeah. And just accept you can't understand it. That's, that's all I ask. And ask us, talk to us. Like, we're not all angry or scared. You know, some of us can have a conversation. How, what, what are things that, um, like being uncomfortable with your maleness? I, I spoke with one, um, I don't know if they identify as AGP or not, but at the time they identified as AGP and they described the, uh, the hair growing out of their face, like, like this violation that's constantly happening. Um, or, or just those things. How have you made steps towards integrating your body, um, and making peace with that? Or, uh, is that even the right frame? Um, do what I can do and accept what I can't. Like, I'm never going to pass. I'm very masculine. Like, but I can feminize it more. The hormones have been helping, but yeah, it's the best I could do. I can shave. So I shave. I can do that. You know, it's, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, you okay. live with it yeah. and you do whatever you can. And I don't know what else to say. Like, accept the looks if you need to, or find a way that you can go through where it's not as noticeable. I don't know. I just feel like a normal person. People yeah. might see it that way, but it's like, that's just who I am. Like, that's just, it's just whatever, you yeah. know? Yeah. Like I'm not trying to match a stereotype or anything like that. Like at 13, I'm not putting on the scour and the eyeliner because I think I'm a woman. It's just like, I like it. It's cool. It's an art thing. So I do it. Yeah. 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 So. so you're composing. Mm-hmm. Do you have like a grand, uh, is something is it what's where do you think that's headed do, do you know. know yet is there are there glimmers of something that that you're communicating with i, I can we just talk about your art for just a moment sure um no where's that going right now it's just falling back in love with it because she broke my heart really bad and i didn't talk to her for seven years so we're slowly we're slowly mm. working ourselves back in um no it's just something that was always like when I had feelings I couldn't get out or put words to, I used the piano to speak and then it just became like, hmm. and I just post it, you know, on my, on my YouTube, I get 40 views. I'm like, cool, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> like you'll meet one person one day that like, Oh, this is good for this. And it's like, thanks. Like I'm not a networker. So I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. But, um, I, I trust in the universe and it usually just works out that way. Like if you don't think about it, it just one day something happens and then it's just like, okay, cool. That's what I'm doing now. Yeah. But it's a passion. So yeah, I'm, and I'm, I'm obsessed artist. So it's like a nine hour a day passion and just like, boom. Yeah. So 
we'll see where it goes. It's um, great that um, you, you've gone back to her, as you say it. Are you are you open to speaking about how music broke your heart? Yeah. Um, because writing broke mine, so it's always great to commiserate with somebody who's <laughs> completely destroyed by art. <laughs> so okay, um, I was always I was always a drummer, but like on my free time, I would just like sit at a piano and do like this, and then like, and no one knew about it. And I just progress and progress, and it was a it was a gift that just like kind of manifested. And then I went to school for it after I knew how to do it. Spent all those years. Then, when I got into really big composing, like I dedicated my life to it, and um, I got married in between that time. Like I don't talk about it. So I made a com- composition that took me like seven months to do, and I mean, I obsessed over it. And my wife was very cool at the time with it. Like she's like, "Okay, so you're doing this? Like, go for it." We didn't expect it to take seven months, and um, I thought it was amazing. I post it. I get like after like two months, a hundred views, and then I look at the time. Like time saw forty five seconds, <laughs> and I was like, all this pain and like neglect of her and like all that stuff just for that. It's like, yeah, I can't. I can't. You know, I, I have this responsibility. And then uh, the wife and I got divorced, and then it was just like, well, I quit my passion for that, and that didn't. And it was just like I kind of mingled the two together. Yeah, yeah. Of like the wife and the giving up, and it's just like it was hard to tell. Like, was the heartbreak more about not doing composition, or was it the heartbreak of the wife, like the divorce? So, I think. Yeah, I, I, that story matches up with my past as well. There's a. I can tell that about you that you're being. Uh, those who of us who have faced that disintegration get to experience reintegration. Um, but there's this, like this Valley of death that we walk through. <laughs> it's like, you're no one, you're no man, yep. you're nowhere. It, yep. It's a strange. Trying to fill, trying to fill that void like, yeah. with everything else. And it's just like, eh, no, it's not it. Yeah. Artists are, have a very cool connection, you know? And I guess we put that to, to transsexualism. It's the same connection that I have with them. Like, it's just no one else can understand it. But when you get someone who does understand it, it's just like, it feels like home, you know? You're writing again, though, right? I have to now. I, I started a sub stack. So every other week I'm publishing a chapter and we're just going to do it. I, I, you know, some nights I'll say like, no, nobody cares. It, it's not worth it. This is total lameness, dream, fantasy, blah, blah. And I get really down on it. Um, but ultimately it doesn't matter. I wrote the books. I need to publish them. I need to make them public. And I'm going to have faith that once I'm done with this project, then I'll be able to move on, like really move on to the next, whatever it is, because I can't create anything new in writing. I, I, I have no drive. I have no compulsion. Um, I only have what is already done. So I feel like while I'm absolutely blessed to be able to do YouTube and to use my, all this other aspect, my voice, my, 
performance, my connection with people, to give people what they want, you know, to actually have an audience and to cultivate that. I'm totally grateful for that. There's something else that's not, I'm not doing. I'm not actually being creative in this. So I need to, I I think like once I'm done giving birth to what I I devoted myself to, then then I'll be able to create something new. Um, So there's that uh, pressure. Um, what helped me, which might help you, like uh, the mindset I did. So you have athletes, right? So athletes have, have a shelf life. Like they must perform at their twenties. They must like, that's their time. They're a slave to their, their craft. And then once they hit 30, they get to, or 40, they're free from that slavery. Like they get to now be free. Art, like composition writing, it's a lifetime slavery. So if you take a break, just think of it like, all right, they get their break later in life. I get my break younger. Like, it's just a break that it's eventually you're going to be a slave to again. And yeah. thinking that way, it's like, I don't feel bad for that seven years because I have the rest of my life to be a slave. And I needed that break, I guess. I needed that break too, because, uh, you know, I, I, I spent, I, I just did a rush between 24 and 30, I, every day, four hours a day, which isn't a lot, but four hours a day, like thinking through and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting it just every day, just being a slave to that. And then, uh, you know, I had to similar, you know, heartbreak and just inspiration. My muse left and my, my lady friend left and I was left with nothing. And I went through this seven years of being no one and being disconnected, but there was a lot of things that were going on under the surface. Like all that, that I didn't waste that time though. I I think I did waste it in in certain ways. I could have had a career, but I had to find this job before I had another job anyways. So it's not really wasted time, especially when I think there's a certain form of artist that you might be. That's why I asked you if there's a project. I'm, I'm a composer too. Like I, I do mm-hmm. like a, the building Schrom the, the Wagner is a guest work, a total work of art. Like it's, mm-hmm. I was contracted at a very early age by an idea that I knew would take me my whole life to see through. So there's, there's a time where I was building it on the surface. And then there's a period where it was being built underneath the surface and it had to it had to do that in order to like reemerge as what it needed to be, you know. So in a way, like the, being humble enough and saying I'm I'm a slave to the work. It's not, you know, and and having that ego disconnect. It's not about me. It's about the work, you know. Yes, is very I, necessary. Yeah. yeah, I get that 100. percent And I guess I'm glad you said that because like I just wrote a piece recently, and I think it's my style completely changed and it seems more full and I think it's the best thing I wrote so far. So I guess I didn't take a break either. Like I was developing as I was living without doing it. I don't know. Yeah. Like, cause I was just like, wait, why am I writing like this now? Hmm. Why does it sound so, so me? Because back in the day, like I was being very like, all right, I went to school. I got to use my, my classical knowledge. Like I was being very theoretical when I wrote and it seemed very Hmm. flat like, because theory is supposed to just like explain it. You're not supposed to go with it. It's just yeah. like, okay, it helps you. It's like a little, little, but now it's just like free form and it, it sounds better. So huh. I guess I, I need to find myself more. I don't know. But yeah, the non break thing, I can totally understand that. And, uh, I'm going to sit with that, which you just said. Uh, I don't really think about it. <sighs> 
congratulations for reaching the end of the discussion. If you enjoyed it, do be sure to leave a review or a comment or a thumbs up or whatever you need to do to show that glorious algorithm that this is some good stuff. And do be sure to go and check that back catalog as it is brimming full of fantastic conversations. Links to provide monetary support are down there in the description as well. Have a good night.